You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Man, I was real excited about um, everything. Everything, everything. Things with the Packers were going great. Um, The numbers for everything were going great. Um, And then yesterday happened, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to get four downloads tomorrow. (laughs) Because it's exactly what happened last time, and now my computer's acting all jacked up. I don't know what's going on. Hopefully the audio's okay, because it keeps freezing on my end. I really hope, not even for my sake, I mean, from a financial standpoint, it's really not going to make that many, that big of a difference, you know, depending on, like, a low day and a high day. More so from the fact of, I really hope we can move on from this. I mean, 2020, look, here's kind of where I'm at. I feel like we've been through... See, everybody's on high alert now. Everybody's super sensitive, so everything I say is going to be put under a microscope. But in a sense, we've been through things like this a billion times this year, over the last year, whatever, where something happens and the emotions get so revved up that it's like, I just can't, right? I mean, how many times, like, from the podcast, because I can't keep letting stupid stuff affect me. Well, this is a major da 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 all right, couple thoughts before my computer completely crashes because it just completely went blank for a second and came back up. So I, this, I can say it because it's probably going to get deleted anyways. First thought, when I was a kid, my parents made some bad decisions in their life. One of them was probably allowing me to watch bad movies from the age of, I don't know, birth. My earliest memories literally were like horror movies. They were my favorite movies growing up. My favorite movie as a kid was It. I mean, literally, some of my earliest memories are like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff. I had I had horrific. By the way, don't do that to your kids. I had serious nightmares. It was to a point. It was to the point where I was literally terrified to go to sleep because I had dreams of It the Clown. Horrible dreams about my mom. Like she was like I. I still to this day I vividly remember some of those some of those nightmares I had. Anyways, it's a great movie. And I loved it. I don't know how as a kid I loved it, but I was also terrified. But whatever. Weird. I'm a weird person. Don't really like horror movies anymore because they're just not scary and the, the plots are just not good. So when you t- remove the scary and you look at just the plot, it's just, it's a really stupid horror genre. Overall, is pretty garbage if it doesn't scare you. Anyways, I'm, I'm honestly not sure how it even works. I don't even really remember. I don't know if I've ever really figured it out. But the essential premise is that there's a clown. And it's killing children. But here's the weird kicker. The clown can only kill the children if the children believe in the clown. 
If they refuse to believe it, it won't kill them. I am dead serious. That is exactly the situation we're in today. Every, almost, I mean, obviously coronaviruses, I'm not, that's not the parallel I'm making. If you look at, for example, the uprisings in anger over the last year, almost all of it has come down to people just believing things that they don't have any business believing. And if they'd stop staring at their televisions and stop obsessing over the news and going into these death spirals, which apparently is a very real psychological thing where people just stare at the news and they, I think it's called death scrolling or something, I don't know, and they just keep going down the rabbit hole and down, 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 and suddenly they believe the the worst possible things are happening. And of course, the natural reaction is to say, this has to stop, this has to change, we have to do something. And every and all possible... uh, actions are reasonable to stop this horrible thing that I've built up in my mind. But again, it's fake. And if everybody in this country would just shut their television off or their cell phone off and walk away, it all just goes away. I'm dead serious. It goes away. Well, there's still corrupt politicians. There were corrupt politicians in the 90s. You know what we didn't have? All of this. Everybody wasn't a garbage human being. Stop it. Walk away. My life has gotten so much better when I just shut this off. And it's seriously, this stuff went on and everybody's like, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I said, I don't care. Well, what do, you, what, do you mean, what do you mean you don't care? It's like, well, first of all, you knew that this was going to happen. So I'm not surprised because things just continue to escalate. If we don't de-escalate, it's going to escalate. We refuse to de-escalate, so it's going to escalate. And it will. It's going to continue to escalate because we refuse to de-escalate. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because there's, even though there is such a small group of people that are actually really revved up, everybody gets involved and makes it work, right? Because although really most of this stuff isn't actually left and right, we all make it left and right, which means everybody has to be involved. Everybody has to play. We require you to be a part of this. It's insane. If you don't participate, one side says you're not in the, on this team anymore. And if you actively come out against it, the other side says, nope, you're not allowed to do that. You're part of the problem. So if you come out and say, no, I'm going to be a good person. I'm not going to participate in this. The side that's acting inappropriately says, you're not on our side anymore. And then the other side says, nope, you're still human garbage. So coming out and saying that I'm against bad behavior is not allowed. You have to embrace the bad behavior, and both sides are going to require you to do it. We perpetuate it in the name of being a good person or something. I don't know. It's not left and right. It's, it's very, very simple. And I shouldn't have to explain this to grown adults, but let me go ahead and do it. There's bad behavior. Good people don't accept bad behavior. Civilized people don't accept bad behavior. I'm not saying you have to outwardly say anything. You don't have to say anything. I don't really care. But I know in the society we live in, everybody wants to outwardly, you know, signal to the world their virtues. Somebody should come up with a name for that. But it's very simple. Any version of violence, lying, looting, killing, assault, illicit behavior, attacking, terrorizing, should be viewed as bad behavior. I'm at a point now where I realize most of the country is incapable of doing that. But I can. And so I just sit here and say... Bad behavior is bad behavior. I'm better than most of this country, and I'm going to die one day knowing that I'm better than most of you. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Because I go on Twitter and I see most of the outrage, 99%, and I'm not kidding, 99% of the people who are outraged were not outraged when, you know, 
quote-unquote, their side was doing it, and vice versa. Because very few people actually care about bad behavior, they just hate the other team, because all, everything is team sports. It's kind of stupid. But again, I'm just, I'm over it. I've realized that everything is devolved into nonsense, and we're too stupid and incapable, and, and just not good enough people to stop this. And that's fine. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to enjoy what, what little life I have left, I'm going to try to make the best life I can, we're still in the process of trying to buy a house. It's a nightmare because everything's all messed up and nobody sells houses and everybody's scared. And one, Okay, so that's a problem, but we're going to get one eventually. I'm going to do my best to make some money talking about the Packers. And, and I'm going to add, you know, it'll probably be nothing more than a part-time job, but that's fine. I got a pretty good job outside of that. I'm going to be friendly with the people that listen to the podcast, despite some of the stupid stuff they say on Twitter, because I know... That just because you voted for one person or the other person doesn't mean you're a violent, horrible person, even though you may tolerate some violent, horrible behavior when it's your team doing it. And I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And I know things are just going to keep getting worse. In the last year, we've seen an attack on a government building by American citizens. And that was it within, what, six months of American citizens literally taking over an American city? So we've seen a military takeover of an entire city and an occupation of that city, as well as a takeover of a government building. Yeah, this is just going to keep getting worse. Because again, despite the fact that the vast majority of the country are not crazy people, we just can't all band together. We can't, because we hate each other too much. We hate each other too much to just come together, all the good people coming together and say, we are now a team against all the crazy people. No, we don't want to be a team, because we we hate each other too much. Again, no, 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 you're on that team and I'm on this team. It's stupid. Again, look at all the people on the right coming out and saying this is wrong, and all the people on the left saying, no, 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 you're the reason, you're the problem. That's why we can't come together, because you're just a a jerk. So that's it. Again, I I have no faith in anybody. Everybody is a partisan idiot, and I've just lost interest in it. I I don't have any hope for anything, and it's kind of nice. I mean, it's sad and depressing, and I'm, I'm terrified for my kids and grandkids. It's very dark and scary to think that someday my kids or grandkids are going to be out there shooting your kids or grandkids because of the fact that you can't just accept people that don't agree with you. That disgusts me. But, you know, nothing I can do about it. As I've said a thousand times, we live in the greatest country in the history of the known universe with more wealth and freedom and opportunity than anybody in all of human history. There is no point at any place in any time in human history that has been better than American citizens in 2020, 2021 now, and we just can't accept it. We can't just embrace it. The opportunities we have are stupid. To this day, there are people that are making about a buck a day, which was the living wage in this country, what, 200 years ago? But we can't embrace it, so we're just going to let it all fall apart because we're too stupid and lazy and greedy to uh, just live in a civilized society. Because that's what a society is. It's kind of one of the sad realities of a society is that part of you has to die so that we can all get along. Not everybody gets to be an individual. Not everybody gets to be perfectly unique. Because when everybody gets to be perfectly unique, then everybody else gets to dictate what happens all around them. And rather than saying, I'm going to embrace the society and adapt to the society, we all say, no, the society has to adapt to us. And that never that's an impossibility. And so we get mad and we get angry and we lash out and we try to change every single reality around us so that it conforms to us. Because we're spoiled, petulant little brats. I don't like something, I'm going to go out and break things. 
I'm gonna go change it with force. There's no strength. I don't see strength anywhere. I see a bunch of weak children, scared cowards everywhere, e everywhere I go. It's why I can't go on Facebook or Twitter because it's a bunch of scared, whiny little children. Even the politicians are, are an embarrassment. Whether they're throwing temper tantrums or like gleefully teasing each other like, ha ha, you lost me. Or, you know, you cheated. Literally, I mean, it, 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 Twitter reminds me of when I was six. Like when you're playing tag and that kid's like, no, this is safety. Like what, the middle of the lawn? Yeah, this is safety. No, no, that's cheating. No, no, this is safe. No, it's not. You're it. No, I'm not. That's that's adults in 2021 and 2020, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, again, I really hope nobody's listening to this because um, probably lost a lot of listeners, but that's fine. I, it, it, you know, again, that's that's just where I'm at. And it's the reason why I'm not going to walk away from the podcast because I've just kind of shut down to all this stuff. That's 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 where I stand on this. It's not left and right. I'm only 34, but I know what it means to be generally a Democrat and a Republican has nothing to do with what we've seen over the last 365 days. I lived under eight years of Barack Obama. I don't remember anything to do with like breaking stuff, starting things on fire, uh, you know, burning down police stations, occupying cities, looting and rioting. I don't remember any of that stuff. I don't know what being proud of your country has to do with storming the Capitol. I don't know what small government, individual liberty, any of that stuff has to do with overthrowing an election. I don't, because it doesn't exist. Because again, this isn't a political thing, so stop making it political. Bad people are bad people, and that's the end of it. That's where I stand. I don't have a political affiliation. I, I just I just don't like bad people. I want to be left alone, I want to leave you alone, and, and any v version of terror that causes terror in myself, my friends, my family, and my children is despicable. And I wanted to eradicate it, and I couldn't give a crap who those terrorists voted for. I'm not going to ask them who they voted for before I decide if I'm okay with it or not. If you're okay with terrorism because they vote for who you vote for, you're human garbage. Period. Okay, that's it. I would delete this. Usually, when I go on really long rants, I uh, get it off my chest, delete it, and then I usually do that like three times. And then the next time I come out and I'm like, alright, I'll do like a five minute one, and then I move on. Um, I don't have time. I, uh, I wasted a lot of time talking about that, but, uh, you know, whatever. Sometimes I, uh, I get these kinds of days, and I lose some listeners, and I get some negative reviews, a couple positive ones, whatever. It is what it is, man. I'm closing in on a 1,000 episodes. If I have 14 that are kind of ranty about non-football stuff, that's just life. All right. Um, I'm not going to go to break, because that would be ridiculous. What a what <laughs> should we do now? Oh, one thing I want to highlight, um, if you haven't seen it, make sure you go over to Pack Daddy NFL, the YouTube channel. Coach Hahn, um, he's been doing his film breakdowns now. He's been doing a lot of Zoom stuff, but I think we're going to start doing live streaming on uh, YouTube. Probably every, is today Thursday? If it is, then I guess every Wednesday. I don't, I don't know. But around 6 o'clock, probably on Wednesday, I'm not sure. But um, absolutely incredible. The video is still up on, on YouTube really, really good stuff. I would encourage you to go watch it just to see if it's interesting to you because you're going to want to catch it live so that you can ask questions live. But he broke down a lot of really, really great stuff. He went over some of the special teams issues and not only the fact that they're issues, but why they're issues. And, and, and the fact that uh, I, I it, it seems to genuinely be a Menenga issue. In other words, it's scheme. And the crazy thing is, and I'm sure, I mean, you, you, there's a special teams coordinator for a reason. There's some complex stuff that goes on with special teams. I'm not going to try to downplay it or even pretend I know what I'm talking about. But just listening to Coach Hahn break down some of the stuff, it's pretty basic. 
I mean, it really is. I mean, it sounds like from punting and, and when you're blocking a punt or blocking a kick or blocking for a punt or blocking for a pick, the basic premise is don't let anybody get inside, which makes sense, right? Send them around the outside because the time it takes, which is why you teach punters the punt has to get off in X amount of time. And same with the kick. It has to get off in X amount of time. Why? Because it's physically humanly impossible for human beings to get around the edge quick enough if you can get it off in this time. And... Uh, Essentially, there's a couple little tricks that you can use. It's not even a trick. It's just overload one side so that you're outmanned. And, uh, I mean, I, I hate to just give away the whole video, but that's that's pretty much the issue, right? I mean, it's so on, on punts, you've got ish, guys just not getting deep enough on, on the block because they're worried about, or, or maybe getting too deep, I should say, because they're worried about getting beat to the outside so guys go to the inside. Just don't give up the inside, right? I mean, granted, you you got to get a little bit of depth so they can't just beeline to the punt. But you shouldn't be scared about the outside so much that you play to the inside and let them... I keep saying that backward. This is why you should just go watch the video and let Coach Hawn explain it to you. But um, anyways, uh, the conclusion that most of us have come to that the... not all, I mean, we granted, we, we probably could use a couple better players because some of this does just come down to basic execution. There are genuine issues with scheme and it doesn't seem all that complex and it doesn't seem like something that should be that hard to figure out. Um, and so I would anticipate Menenga not making it into next year. I don't know, but that's just kind of my thought. Special teams has been a disaster, and I don't think it all can be laid at the feet of the personnel. He went over Kevin King. Basically, Coach Hawn came to the exact same conclusion I did, which it's not a brag. I'm, I'm kind of relieved because you never know what he's going <laughs> to say. But my conclusion was I thought it was a lot of good and a lot of bad. And that was essentially the conclusion he came to, and I, I think it's fair to say that some of the issues were scheme-related. But clearly there was some bad coverage. Now, I, I didn't see it in the detail that Coach Hahn did. And, and again, I'll let him explain that if you want to go watch the video. But there were times, and, and it is frustrating and also interesting, because if you look at the one example he gave of Kevin King, it wasn't, it's, it's never been an athletic issue with him. We drafted him because he's an athletic freak. In fact, pretty much everybody we draft, we draft because they're an athletic freak. Because the point is, if you can get the mental and the physical in sync, you're unstoppable. And that's pretty much where Darnell Savage is right now, and it's great. That's where Jair is right now, and it's great. The mental and the elite physical have combined into, oh my goodness, this is scary. The problem is, not everybody can do the mental part. And, and as I've said, I, I talk about this when I mention linebackers, right? Speed is great, but how good is speed if you're in the wrong part of the field? And, and on this particular play that he highlighted, Kevin King was 15 yards away from where he should have been. It doesn't matter that he runs in the 4-4. If, if you ran the wrong direction, you're never going to be able to get to the, where you're going in time. Same with linebackers. Well, this guy runs a 4-4-5. He's going to be able to do this, 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 and this. Listen, a guy that runs a 4-6-5 is a lot faster than a guy that runs a 4-5-5 if the guy that runs a 4-6-5 is able to diagnose, process, get to the right part of the field immediately, and the 4-5-5 guy doesn't know where to stand, or the 4-4-5, whatever. So, you know, I think part of the issue with Kevin, it seemingly, I mean, it was just one play, but it kind of makes sense because the physical's never been an issue with him, and if there's issues with Kevin King... A lot of time it really just comes down to basic processing, and he does a great job of showing an example of Jair, that, that play by Sullivan that should have been picked. What what Coach Hahn broke down, which is a great insight, is the fact that Jair basically did all of that by his mental processing. Not only did he do his job, but he communicated to Savage and Sullivan what's going on and what needs to happen on that play so that Sullivan can undercut it. Because think about it. 
when you try to jump a route, it's risky. It's always risky. And so there's, there's fear that you want to stay behind the guy because if you can't get to the ball and he catches it, not only is he getting the first down, he could be gone. Um, and that's essentially why, let me, let me kind of rebuild this play for you. Jimmy Graham is running what appears to be a seam route. He's just running in a straight line. That's supposed to take Jair and the safety down the field so that Sullivan has to stay behind the receiver so that it's a first down and he tackles him after the fact. What Jair is able to process immediately is that Jimmy Graham is a decoy. This play is not to Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is a decoy trying to take me away from this play. So he yells, I believe, off, 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 or maybe, who knows, the Packers might have their own signals, whatever. But he signals to Savage, hey, this play is BS. Jimmy Graham is a decoy. I want." So he's screaming to Savage, you cover this guy. And at the same time, he's screaming to Sullivan, I got this guy. You jump the route. If he catches it behind you, I got him. I'll pick it up. Because he's basically abandoning Jimmy Graham, saying, garbage. They're not going to throw it to him. He's not even running a route right now. So it was it was his ability to process that that told Sullivan, jump the route, get the ball. He jumps the route, swats it away. Game. And by the way, another insight. I'm giving away the whole video, but this is why you need to get over there and watch his breakdowns. That play was supposed to be a run. I missed that. Remember when I said it made no sense? Essentially, Mike Pettin was giving them first downs. Right? He was just letting them have them. On this particular play, he actually put in snacks, which is something that he was not doing. This was a called run play until they saw the big boy package up front. When they saw Snacks Harrison and next to Kenny Clark, who was next to Dean Lowry, Mitch looked at that and said, I'm not going to run a sneak into the face of Snacks Harrison. I'm not doing it. So he backed out of it and he called his own passing play. And so you've got Mike Pettin abandoning the stupidity and, and even Coach was like, I don't know why they didn't put the... So, again, I, I I try to give Mike Pettin the benefit of the doubt, but I don't know anybody that's looking at this saying, yeah, I think you should have put in Lancaster over Snacks Harry. It just it doesn't make sense. And again, not a bad example of two guys that are built similarly. Tyler Lancaster is a big boy. Snacks Harrison isn't just a good foot... He's not a, a top-end nose tackle just because he's fat. I promise you that. There's a lot of big... I'm a big boy. I, I, I couldn't play football because I, well, I, I mean, I suck athletically, but I, I don't know anything about it. S- Snacks is good because he's also very intelligent. And there's nuance to being a nose tackle, right? One of the things Coach Owen highlighted, you know, attack the center's snapping arm. Why? Because he has to snap the ball. He's not going to get it up faster than you, right? So little things like Tyler Lancaster dove at the center's ankles so that the quarterback simply just had to fall forward. Essentially, he did the wrong thing. Snacks wasn't about to do the wrong thing. He wasn't about to get beat. And so again, Trubisky backed out of it. So you got the fact that we have Snacks Harrison that caused that fourth down. The fact that Mike Pettin decided to put Snacks in caused that fourth down. The fact that Jair Alexander isn't just an elite athlete, but is really, really good upstairs. And and listen to me, there has never been a number one corner in the NFL that's just a good athlete. Ever, ever, ever. Whether it's Richard Sherman, who's like six foot four and fast and a physical monster, you do not get to be that good unless you are really next level PhD intelligent. Charles Woodson, all those guys. So that's that's the exciting thing. Jair took a step, not just because he's super athletic, but because he he just got his PhD. And that's exciting because he ain't gonna forget that. He's young, he's athletic, and oh my goodness, he's smart. And, and the exciting thing about it, and he kind of went over the offense too, and how it's not just physically dominant play. The Packers offense is just smarter than you. That, that means so much. 
because again, it's not just a matter of you know if if the talent falls off or if we lose this guy or that guy. The fact of the matter is we have really intelligent football players, offensive linemen, quarterback, coach, tight ends, wide receivers, running back, and again, it plays into what I've been saying. Why don't we see AJ Dillon? Because we got a PhD running back probably gonna say mean if I say GED running back but it would have sounded good PhD GED you know it kind of that's that's mean though he you know let's say AJ Dillon has his has like a two-year technical degree he's a hammer and he's fun to watch but but again it's like the reason we win largely is the mental and that's the rationale for not putting snacks and AJ Dillon and guys like that out there and they're trying to do this balancing act right now like we we know Dillon's a freak and he's really good at football but we really want to win by being smarter than the guys across from us. And and it's sort of putting your best 11 out there sometimes is putting your best, most intelligent 11 people out there because everybody has a role to play. And if one of these guys doesn't do their job, we're in trouble. I need everybody to be able to know exactly what to do. And you look at Lazard, you look at Rodgers, you look at Devontae. They're not just athletes. These guys are really smart football players. Corey Lindsley isn't the best center in football just because he benches 700 pounds. He is super strong. But he became really, really good because he's really, really smart. But again, the real exciting thing here is what happens when guys get caught up to speed? What happens when A.J. Dillon gets up to Aaron Jones' level? Maybe that won't happen for a couple years. I mean, eventually he's going to have to just start, and that's just a reality. But again, there's going to be a point in which he starts, and he's as intelligent, and it just... The most exciting thing about this team, and, and I know nobody cares about 20, 21, 22, 23... The most exciting thing about this team is that it's still really young and really raw. And it might be the best team in football right now. Savage and Amos kind of just figured it out. And it's, again, largely thanks to our new DB coach, Jerry Gray. He did it in Minnesota. He came over here. Again, it was a slow start to the safeties. Probably, if I had to guess, because it was sort of a tear down and rebuild thing, right? He comes in, he sees how they've been playing, and he's like, look, we got we to gotta get rid of some bad behavior here, right? We, we got to kind of get some of this this bad habits out of your system first and then rebuild some good habits and 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 relearn how to do things. I remember one of the greatest teachers I ever had it was actually when I went to a technical school and it was a math class and and it was weird it was it was called technical math or tech math or something and it was like tech math 1 and 2 but essentially it was like they take you from pre-algebra through calculus and it's just like a once over like we're just going to give you a brief overview of everything. He literally taught us, retaught us how to how to add and subtract. He says the the school systems have taught us how to add and subtract incorrectly since forever. I'm going to require you to do it differently. He also he had all these different weird methods. Great teacher, forget his name. I actually found him because he always talked about he wanted to do stuff on YouTube or whatever. I remembered his name. I found him and now I forgot again. But he had a he had a rule too where when you went into his class. You had to take notes about every single thing I wrote on the board. Every he everything he said he put on the board, everything he wrote, we had to write down. Literally everything. He said, I don't care he and he didn't care if we took the in fact he said you're you're welcome to rip that out of your notebook and throw it in the garbage. What he explained is when you visually see it and you write it and you hear it, you're helping build the neural pathways in your brain. Right, that's all. That's all learning is. Right, you're creating sort of memories in your brain, and it's electrical signals. When you learn something, it creates a signal, but it it doesn't necessarily get burned in your brain. 
in order for it to get burned in your brain, we really got to blast it. So by watching it and by hearing it, so that's why he drew everything on the board, because you're visually seeing what I'm saying, you're audibly hearing what I'm saying, and then you have to actually write it down on a piece of paper. We're blasting it into your brain. We're burning in this neural pathway. It's going to help you remember stuff. And it worked. So we relearned how to add and subtract, which was super annoying at first, but once you get into more complex mathematics, it really helps. He had all these crazy, and, and again, so it's it's annoying at first, but if you just trust the process and sort of, sort of tear down everything that you've learned and rebuild, which by the way is exactly what Mike Smith did um, in Kansas City as well as here in Green Bay, unbelievable coach. We have, I think, the best pass rush coach in football. He took two guys that were no good anymore in Kansas City and turned them into the number one and two pass rushers in football. He's doing wonders here in Green Bay. We've got maybe the best DB coach in football here. Matt LaFleur is one of the greatest offensive minds in football right now. There's no question about it. His scheme, his intelligence, his personability, all that. It's just incredible. And um, I haven't really seen a lot of it, but Coach Hahn has been gushing, absolutely gushing over our offensive line coaches and and just the complexity and their ability to coach. And, And again, I haven't seen the intricacies, and I wouldn't know it if I saw it anyways, but... I've been able to notice it based on the results. Again, they've always been great. They've always had great coaches. I mean, along the offensive line, even prior to these guys, we had guys with Mike McCarthy that were just unbelievable, right? We, we had late round guys, undrafted guys that would come in and they would block for Rodgers and they would be great. We've had historically great offensive lines here in Green Bay for a very long time. It's always been a thing. But the one interesting thing is they kind of took it to the next level with their ability to run block. So now we have guys like Corey Lindsley and David Bakhtiari that are elite pass blockers still, but also really good run blockers, which just takes them to a whole other level. Then you got guys like Billy Turner, who, whatever you think about them, their ability to fill a void and not be a liability has been incredible. Guys like Lucas Patrick, who occasionally are a liability, but when you consider who Lucas Patrick is, should be a liability all the time. The fact of the matter is he was, he was a major component in winning the game against the Bears last week. And some of it has to do with coaching guys up. Some of it has to do with the way they scheme, the calls they play. Everything is melding together just right. And that's what gives me confidence going into the playoffs because you look backwards and say, I hope this wasn't all a fluke. You know, just certain things, you know, the, the offense gets hot just at the just enough while the defense isn't competent and this gets hot while this is bad. And it feels like everything's just in flux. But when you really look at it and you see, no, this is a complex, very high intelligent um, sort of system that's being implemented here, and it's players who are outsmarting players and coaches who are outsmarting coaches and right things being called at the right time and people doing the right things with some issues in between, you realize that this is legit. It's real. It doesn't mean they're going to win a Super Bowl, but it means they're more than capable. This is a high-level team in terms of both talent as well as being a high-intellectual team. And remember, Matt LaFleur was a first-year head coach last year. He'd never done it before. So making in-game adjustments and all that, that was a real complex thing, and they struggled with it. They clearly are better this year. Mike Pettin is clearly better in the second half of this year. right? Again, even the Snacks Harrison thing, it's like, why are we doing this? That's changed. right? At the end of the game, Snacks was in there on, on short-yarded situations, and it got cleaned up. 
And now you got the extra buy. We get some of these guys up to speed. You know, Matt LaFleur takes it to like 8.0, and Mike Pettin takes it up to 8.0. Not only are they doing new things, but they're continually revising what they've been doing. The defense continues to get better. The offense continues to get better. Guys are making smart decisions, and, you know, guys like Jair take that next level step. The safeties take that next step. The defensive line takes that next step. The edge guys, guys like Rashawn, who are just out of his world recently, take that next step. It's exciting. Everything is exciting. That's why you got to shut off the world, because everything over here is great. Imagine being a Vikings fan right now. What the heck are we looking forward to? It's just, I feel for them, man. 2020, 2021, and the Vikings, it's just, it all just, it's all just one big mess. But again, it's still football, and you still have a team to root for, and that's still exciting, and, and we can go into the draft and and free agency and have revived hope no matter what happened. If we win the Super Bowl, we have hope that we can start talking about back-to-back. We can start talking about what is the realistic opportunity to be a dynasty here. It obviously shrinks because it's limited by how far Aaron Rodgers can go and our ability to actually get a quarterback in place, whether that's Jordan Love or somebody else. But again, it it, it has the makings of it, doesn't it? At least a short-lived dynasty. I'll take a back-to-back dynasty. (laughs) It's not a dynasty, but I'll call it that. I don't know. It's exciting. But anyways, that's my pitch for the uh, the YouTube channel. Make sure you head over there and check that out again. Pack Daddy NFL. Um, it's a picture of Coach Holland's smiling face because although I made a thumbnail, apparently, I thought you just went live and then it became like a new video. No, I, I have to like make a new video essentially out of that video and then upload it to YouTube. And then they're like, oh, we don't have any of the information like thumbnail from the last video you made because it's a new video. It's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Coach, because I don't have that that thumbnail with me right now. My bad. Anyways, we better take a break here um, because we're, again, a little short on time. Take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
All right, since today is kind of a random day anyways, um, well, first of all, a couple thank yous. Um, yesterday, I forgot to say thank you to, I don't know, Flagship um, for jumping in on the uh, PayPal. It's kind of an underutilized channel of support, so I, I forgot about that, and I apologize. But he says, enjoy the show. PFF Tuesday is good. So I should take that as a compliment, but part of my brain is like, what do you, what do you mean it's good? Like it's Like it's okay, or... Like, this donation would have been bigger if it was better, but, you know, it's fine, so here's what you get. <laughs> I would have made a great wife in another life. What are you trying to say? Something that you didn't say? Also, big shout-out to Matthew Ingalls. He says, Ryan, I'm a graduate student, so I hope this small contribution shows how much your podcast means. You've gotten me through so many seemingly endless days running experiments alone in lab. Special thanks to your wife for putting up with you during football season. Yeah, she deserves something. It's a good idea. I should give her something, shouldn't I? Thank you. You know what I should do? It should be roughly in the amount that you donated to me. But it won't be your money. That's for support of the pie. It'll be, I'll use different money for that. <laughs> Very small office reference. Got $100 per diem. He said, I'm going to buy a sweater. Now, Michael, that's for food. I, I, I'll use different money for that. Never mind. So, thank you guys. Um, there's going to be, listen, there are certain people who love the NFL draft. There's really only two people, people that love the draft and people that say, how dare you talk about the draft during the season? Because they don't really care about the draft and they only want to talk about the season. Here's the reason, because I can multitask. (laughs) That's why. I don't really understand the rationale of how dare you talk about the draft before the season's over. I just, I don't know. I can get excited about two things at one. I'm excited about saving for a vacation. We haven't even bought a house yet. I just like getting excited about stuff. I don't know. I'm weird that way. But what I'm going to try to do, anytime there are draft questions and they're starting to pop up, I'm going to save them toward the end. If you are the person who says, don't talk about the draft before the season's over, you can tune this out now. And I'm sorry I should have put up that warning before the break so you don't have to listen to ads before I got here and told you to leave the podcast. But um, I'll be honest, I didn't know this is what we were going to do right now. But uh, got to be a little bit quick because it's already time for me to be done. But um, kind of in I don't care mode, so it is what it is. I feel like today is just going to be I don't care about, probably for the rest of the week. But fortunately, never mind. Just never mind. So first of all, wasn't really a question for the show, but um, I had mentioned to JJ because he had contacted me. He said he's starting the whole draft process and whatnot, asking me if I had started and all that. And he brought up that he thinks Edge is going to be possibly a consideration, which really makes sense. If we assume we're getting rid of Preston, and I've mentioned this before, it's Zadarius and Rashawn, which is true, but there's a pretty big drop-off after that. And so I'm not necessarily saying first round, but it wouldn't be all that shocking if they're looking for a little bit of depth. But the, the question came up, is there anybody out there that kind of fits the mold of what um, what Mike Pettin likes? And I did a very cursory check. I mean, I, I, I went to, I think, my uh, big board just to look at height and weight, just because it's, got, it, it's not going to be these 240, 250-pound speed guys off the edge. Um, Tennessee, I know, loves those guys, which clearly that's not working out too well. Mike Pettin likes the big body, 270, 265, whatever type of guy. And so that that was really, I just kind of went down the line until I found that. And the guy that popped up, and again, maybe this is a little too early, but he possibly could fall to the second round. I don't think he will, but he's not a lock first round guy. Plus, who knows what's going to happen, you know, once this process begins. But Carlos Basham kind of made the most sense to me. I was, uh... I always felt like I should call him Basham because I felt nobody has a cool enough name to actually be Basham. It's, it's apparently it's Basham, but he's six foot five, two eighty five, which is just a a Mike Pettin dream. Not only is a is a a bigger, heavier guy, 
But at six foot five, he's got really long arms, and Mike Patton loves that. Of course, my internet is not going to work, so I'm not going to be able to uh, really look into this. There we go. But actually, probably to the Packers' advantage, he did have a bit of a down year this year. Um, his rookie year at Wake Forest was he had a 70 overall grade. The next two years, an 80, and then an 87. This year, a 71. So it's, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's, it's 2020. Obviously, there's some games that are missing. Stuff is kind of weird. Um, his pressure rate actually fell quite a bit. He only had 25 pressures on 211 attempts, which is pretty low. Um, only five sacks. The, the previous year, 2019, 60 pressures, 401 pressure attempts, um, 11 sacks, which the sacks are comparable, but the pressures are way down. Um, and his run defense is the lowest he's ever had. So again, he may fall, but it's a guy with a lot of upside, right? He's been pretty stout against the run in college, a great pass rusher, especially in 2019. He's built the right way. And he's also versatile. Um, he's primarily a down defensive end, similar to Rashawn Gary, but he has played a healthy dose of outside linebacker. He's also been lined up at the line of scrimmage, including even one snap at nose tackle. So he's got that kind of versatility that Mike Pettin loves. Again, I don't know if they're going to take a second-round swing at it. They very well may. If you think about it, not only is uh, are they looking for depth, but at some point, Zadarius is going to be not on the team anymore. It might be you know another two or three years or whatever, but... The Packers are not afraid of just taking the best possible player, even if we think it's not the biggest need. So again, I don't. He he's probably gone in the first round. He might even be gone before we get to our first pick. That's sort of where he's being mocked right now, is like mid first. But that was the first thing that came to mind, and it's also worth discussing and thinking about. First of all, if you want to, let me tell you this: if you want to see some of his best tape, his highest grade was against North Carolina. He had six pressures in that game. Didn't have any sacks, which is one of the reasons I love PFF, because if you just look and try to see what was his best game, you look at his sacks. He had one sack in just about every game this year. It's kind of hard to decipher. You can maybe look at tackles. But, um, you know, he got his run defense grade was the highest of the year. His pass rush grade was the second highest of the year. Six pressures. Uh, the only one that we did a better job uh, rushing was against Campbell. But check that game out. If you want to see bad tape, and this is true across the board, especially from small school guys, watch him against Clemson. It's the same thing I said about, uh, I think, Jordan Love, watch him against Clemson. A.J. Dillon, you want to see bad tape, watch him against Clemson. <laughs> Just, you know, one of the one of the bigger schools. You're going to see some bad tape. But anyways, um, something to consider. And again, he does fit that mold. I, I would be shocked if the Packers even had a shot at him and, and if they took him. But he absolutely fits that Rashawn Gary type mold. By the way, Quiddy Pay does as well. Same school, same build, all that stuff. But he's going to be long gone. He might be a top 10 pick. Um, and then I had two questions in the Facebook group. If you want to ask me a question, try to tag me. There's so much stuff going on, I'm probably going to miss it. So don't don't be afraid to kind of like ask me again and again. Just be like, hey, what about my question? And and if I'm not going to answer it, I'll just, I, I don't think there's ever been a question I just don't want to answer. Sometimes it gets kicked down the line because it's either doesn't come up organically or it's something I really have to research or whatever. But again, there's so many different things going on in a day on top of, you know, full-time job and family and all that stuff and world events that I'm desperately trying to ignore so don't don't be afraid to uh you know remind me but anyways and i i swear i kept the facebook thread so i can say who asked the question but i forgot anyways had a question in the facebook group i don't have time to go look it up but davion nixon defensive lineman out of iowa currently on my aggregate big board which again as you can find that over at packdraft.com uh, one of the tabs says NFL Big Board, and what I do is I take all the big boards from across the internet and I just average them out. So right now he's averaging um, on big boards about 87th. He's the 82nd highest graded player 
if that makes sense. If it doesn't, just think about it. You'll figure it out. So we're talking maybe like a third round expectation for Davion Nixon right now. Six foot three, three oh five, kind of fits the mold. I know the Packers generally don't like these super heavyweights. Obviously, we're leaning in that direction, and, and maybe that's going to be kind of a new thing going forward. It actually is sort of interesting now that you think about it. If the Packers have conceded we need that big body guy, and Snacks Harrison isn't going to be a long term option, and Tyler Lancaster just kind of, in, in the words of Coach Hahn, ain't that dude, it actually might be something to consider, although it's not a general Packers target to go get the 335 pound guy. Maybe that is, but this sort of fits the old school mold. 6'3 is a little bit shorter. It's kind of, uh, I mean, it's not short, but I, I mean, if, if you were to pick the ideal mold, again, you get the long arm guys. Usually those guys are like 6'4, six 6'5, foot six foot but 6'3 uh, is, is fine. 6'3, six, six 305. Um, in terms of grades, good both years, but it's, it's kind of back and forth. So his run defense grade went down, his pass rush grade went up, tackling grade got better. Run defense this year has actually been pretty poor, especially down the stretch. His only two really good games came against Northwestern and Michigan State, simply against the run. He's had some other great games. Um, since then, Minnesota, Penn State, Nebraska, Illinois, and Wisconsin, he did not grade out very well. From a pressure standpoint, 23 pressures on 256 attempts. He's almost at 10%, which you always have to assume it's going to be higher in college. So being sub-10% in college is not great. You know, the the best pass rushers are at like 18, 19, 20% in college. And then you go to the NFL and they're, you know, 15, 16%, maybe if they're lucky, if your name is Bosa or something. Because it's, it's college. You, you occasionally are going to go up against a lesser competition. Although, you know, this is all pretty stout. There's not garbage competition here. We're talking Purdue, Northwestern, Michigan State, Minnesota, Penn State, Nebraska, Illinois, and Wisconsin. There wasn't like some technical college that got slipped in there somewhere. But also had seven sacks on the season, which is fairly high. It's a high ratio, probably unsustainably high. Plus, four of those seven came in one game against Northwestern, which is also one of those things where if you happen to watch that game, that gets burned into your memory, and you say, dude, this guy's this guy's a, a real serious threat. The problem is he had seven pressures week one against Purdue, four pressures, four sacks in Northwestern. So, I mean, if you watch those first two games, weeks eight and nine, it's like, this guy's a freak. Since then, you know, two pressures, no sacks, two pressures, no sacks, three pressures, one sack, one pressure, no sack, three pressures, no sacks, one pressure, one sack. A very high proportion of his success came very early, and since then he just kind of floundered. In terms of his alignment, um, almost entirely just a 4-3 defensive tackle. I'm not going to do the, the technique stuff because, number one, it always I always get confused on it. And number two, I think some people also get confused on what exactly that means. So I like to stick to 3-4-4-3 type stuff, right? A nose tackle is a 3-4 defensive tackle. Then you got a 4-3 defensive tackle, a 3-4 defensive end, a 4-3 defensive end, which is a pass rusher, and then you have a 3-4 outside linebacker, which is a pass rusher, right? That's That's sort of... And PFF kind of breaks it down that way, sort of. Um, but 387 plus 31-ish. So 400 of his 469 attempts came as just a straight-up 4-3 defensive tackle. Meaning you got four down linemen, there's two guys on the edge, there's two guys on the inside, he was one of the guys on the inside. In fact, he was on the left side almost every single time. So it was not a lot of versatility at all. I mean, he did do other stuff, but I mean, it was it's very rare to see this high of a proportion. Not, I mean, just being a defensive tackle is pretty rare, but being strictly a left defensive tackle is pretty surprising. Um, but, you know, he's got 41 snaps at nose and a couple other things two at outside linebacker. You'd be shocked at how much versatility every single person has. Everybody's just got some crazy stuff. I mean, he's got inside linebackers. He has nine snaps in the box. Just just weird stuff, man. But that's Davion Nixon. I, you know, I don't have an official scouting report because I haven't watched his film that you'd want to talk to other guys about that. 
Um, I'm just giving you the numbers as I see it and trying to process it the best that I possibly can. Um, and if you want to see from this year some good tape, his absolute best game by a mile, which is surprise. That doesn't make sense. Something's not right here. His highest grade was against Penn State, but I don't know why. He had kind of low grades everywhere, which makes me think something weird happened. Try Northwestern. Do that one. The, the four pressures, four sacks game. You can check out Penn State, but something weird is, is going on with that. You know, like, like he was great on special teams or something, so his overall grade was high. I don't know. Check it out. But really good game. Check out Northwestern Week 9. Uh, worst game against Minnesota. Had a 33 overall run defense grade. Apparently was just getting bowled over by that team. So if you want to see some highs and lows, those are your two games. Check out Northwestern and then Minnesota. And then if you got time, throw in Penn State to see if that was really good or not. Because run defense grade was a 60. Pass rush grade was a 60. Tackling grade was a 70. Overall grade was a 90. That doesn't compute. Something weird happened there. Oh, I do have a... What the heck is this? I do have a link to it. The um, Cody asked about Davion Nixon. And then finally, Joseph asked about Mr. Rondale Moore. So we'll end with Rondale Moore. Man, I am so confused. Oh, because there's two links, you big, dumb absolute moron of a human being jeez this is this is who you're listening to right now i i just anyways so rondale moore is first of all the the biggest red flag and, and again we're seeing the very uh strict rules of the green bay packers kind of go out the window right matt lafleur likes the big bodied six foot five 295 pound wide receivers this is, this is, I'm trying to put inflection in there so you know that I, this is hyperbole. I'm hoping you're picking up on the, the sarcasm-ish. I think hyperbole is a better way to say it. And uh, Mike Pettin likes, you know, six foot five, 295-pound defensive tackle. But the defense is, is leaning on guys like Snacks now. We're seeing more Tyler Lancaster. Again, we're, we're seeing that direction. And on offense, we're seeing what? A little bit of Tavon Austin. We're seeing how that plays a critical role, although it maybe isn't, the number one thing. And listen, maybe the massive emphasis on big wide receivers is because we've been looking for an Alan Lazard. And guess what? We found him. So maybe not every wide receiver has to be Alan Lazard. Maybe we've just been looking for that one and we finally got him. Maybe there's also other components like you want a Devante, but guess what? We already have a Devante. So maybe the next emphasis, and again, same thing for the Packers. Maybe it's just the biggest emphasis, the most important thing is getting an Alan Lazard type player, this big body physical guy that's going to be able to help us not only as a receiver, but as a blocking threat, which sounds weird, but it's a real thing. And you can see the importance of that component to the Matt LaFleur offense once it's executed properly, as it is by uh, Alan Lazard. So the point is, Rondell Moore does not fit that mold, the Alan Lazard or MVS or EQ or, you know, just the sort of the big body guy mold. But there's another component to this offense that is seemingly important, maybe not quite as important, but it's seemingly important that um, is worthy of consideration. And I think Rondell Moore fits into that. The question is, how does the offense adjust? Because clearly you're not going to take a first-round pick, which Rondell Moore would be. He's probably gone before the Packers pick. But if he's not, it's a consideration. You're not going to take a first-round pick to do, you know, two jet sweeps a game. That's not going to be a thing. The question is, are you willing to use him in that capacity, but also split him out opposite Devontae to be a speed guy on the outside or to put him in three wide situations in the slot? So, for example, you may have Devontae and Rondale Moore on the outside, and then in the next package, you've got maybe MVS, if he may be gone, but let's say Alan Lazard split out, Devontae split out, and Rondale Moore in the slot. Are, are you willing to do those kinds of things? And I'm sure they are. But again, he loves having guys like Alan Lazard, the big body slot guys in there as well. So it's, it's just a question of, how does Rondale Moore fit your scheme outside of just being a gadget guy? 
if he does, I think Rondell Moore could be that guy. Five foot nine, hundred and eighty pounds, speed for days. He's also never had a bad year. In 2018, his his first year playing in college, he had an almost elite grade. 2019, 77, 2020, uh, 81. So it's it's been variable, but it's just been consistently good. Um, he is primarily a slot guy. Of his, um, let's see, 165 snaps this year, he only played three games. 137 of the 165 were in the slot. He lined up once in the backfield, 27 times out wide, which, I mean, again, you, he hasn't shown versatility, but that doesn't mean he isn't versatile. It means they haven't used him in a versatile way. Same thing with Davion Nixon, right? That comes down to the scouting staff saying, it, does he have the tools to be versatile? Justin Jefferson is a great example of that. My biggest concern with him wasn't his talent level. He's a freak off the line. He reminded me of Devontae. The problem is he never got sent down the field, and I didn't know if he could do it. The Vikings looked at it and said, of course he can do it. They drafted him, and guess what? They were right. And he's now one of the best wide receivers in football as a rookie. So it's up to the scouting staff and, and, you know, do your own evaluation. Watch those 27 times he was out wide. Watch the few times they used him. Watch his one snap in the backfield. Let me go to 2019, see if there's some more film on that for you to analyze. Four times in the backfield in 2019, 40 times out wide. So there's tape. There's tape of him doing stuff. It's a question of evaluating, is this the guy we want for the role that we're looking to fill or not? And if he is, clearly this is this is a guy that can do it at a high level. Um, in terms of, I mean, statistics, he really hasn't played a f- big full season since his rookie year in 2018, but that was also his biggest year. So when he had actually a full season to play, we're talking uh, 114 receptions on 154 yards, 74% of his uh, passes were caught. Did have seven drops, but 1,258 yards and 12 touchdowns, 11 yards per reception. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, his longest was 70 yards. So, I mean, he's not just a simple little dink and dunk kind of guy. I mean, this is a big play threat. So, again, you're probably going to have to watch. It really just comes down to watching him and, and seeing what you think. Um, 2020, again, he only played three games. His best game was against Minnesota. His worst was against Nebraska. If we go back to 2019, um, again, he only played four games that year. Uh, Vanderbilt was his best, TCU was his worst. But if you go all the way back to 2018, which probably, I mean, a lot of times you don't want to do that. You want to see the more recent tape, and, and that's fair. But kind of like Jordan Love, there's nothing wrong with going and seeing him at their bat, right? It's, it's When it's all a jumbled season and it's all kind of messed up, um, it's kind of iffy. So if you can find it, 2018 Rondale Moore against Ohio State, uh, very, very good game. 170 yards on 12 receptions, two touchdowns. His worst grade, and this is probably the worst grade of his career, was week two against Eastern Michigan. Again, you got to try to find it, but remember, he's a rookie. It's his second time ever stepping foot on the field, but six targets, three receptions, only 16 yards if you're trying to find some best and worst tape. Of those six targets, he had one drop in that game, also had a fumble. So it was just it was just kind of ugly, but I mean, he this is a guy who you're struggling to find bad tape. Even that entire year, he had one game below 60, one. Uh, 2019, one game below 60. 2020, zero games. So in three years, which is a small sample size, but in, you know, let's call it pretty close to two full seasons, he's got basically two bad games. Um, consistently good football player. The, the Really, the only questions would be, uh, first of all, is he going to make it to the Packers? Second of all, does he fit what Matt LaFleur wants to do, right? There's, there's certain things that that we've seen that aren't exactly at a super high level, right? Again, I think Tyler Lancaster is a great example of a piece that Mike Pettin wants. It's probably a low priority piece because as you've noticed, we don't really go out in free agency or the draft to go get these guys. 
until recently, obviously with Snack. But it's a position of, of it is a it is in the playbook, right? We do have big body guys in the middle, and it would be nice to get a better piece. Again, this is probably down the list of priorities, a guy like Rondale Moore, but it is in the book. How big of a piece, how, you know, how important is it if he's a guy, again, if it's just a gadget guy, we're not taking Rand, Rondale Moore. If this is legitimately a big part of his offense and he's willing to retool things and be like, no, I'd love to get a smaller, shiftier slot guy that we can use in that capacity, but also use for X, Y, Z, whatever, cool. And also for your... Um, for any of you that might be curious, and let me check 2018 just to make sure. So in 2020, he didn't have any returns. Um, however, in 2018 and 2019, he did. 2018, again, he did grade out quite well. 34 kickoff returns, averaged about 19.5 yards per return. There's nothing special about that. Again, the only way that you'd want a guy to take a ball out of the end zone ever is if he can get to about 25 yards, and even so, why bother? But sometimes they kick it to the goal line, and if you're getting about 20 yards per return, that's not great. Um, punt returns in 2018, 12 returns, 82 yards, 6.8 yard average. I'll be honest, I don't exactly know what we're looking for there, and I could look it up, but we're way over time, so I'm not going to. But yes, he does have some experience in that, but again, if you're drafting him in the first round, which you would, it's similar to kind of that Randall Cobb thing, you're not going to want to use him in that capacity, even if he's very good at it, and I don't know that he is. He did have some long returns, so I'm sure there's a highlight of him doing something awesome. He had a 48-yard return, a kickoff return in 2018, had a 34-yard kickoff return in 2019. But again, it just, it doesn't seem to be, like Jair. Jair was an incredible returner in college. Zero chance we're ever going to use him in that capacity because we, there's just no way. Same thing with Rondale. So it's just, it's not, if you're looking at later round guys, I think special teams is is something to keep an eye on. How did they grade out in special teams? not just kick and punt return, but, you know, gunner and, and blocking and all that stuff as sort of a, a dual uh, role kind of a situation. But anyways, I got to get going. Sorry for my rant this morning. But again, when crazy things happen, sometimes I just got to say stuff because I'm annoyed and that's the way it goes. If you don't like it, you want to take the day off. I understand. That's fine. Some of you are like, I should have taken this whole episode off. Tomorrow is not, you know, we're, we're 100% moving on. So um, again, I'll keep the draft stuff toward the end if you have any more questions. But otherwise, have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.